0: Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117, let's pray. So Lord, we we praise you this morning. We join our voices, we link arms with brothers and sisters in praising your name, in lifting it on high. And Lord, as we open your holy and infallible and inerrant word today, we open to the words of Mary's song, words of wonder, words of wisdom. I pray, Lord God, in the midst of an anxious time, time of worry and weariness, Lord, that you would, grant us a refreshing and renewed vision and a blessing of peace that passes understanding. Father, we thank you for all those gathered here in person and watching online. ask you, Lord, to bless the words of my mouth and the things I have prepared to say, Lord God, that it would be of you and by your spirit you would speak Directly to our hearts, prepare us, Lord, to come to the table. And Father, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters uh, throughout this region. And I want to especially lift up my brother Heath down in E.M. Claw at Grace Point Church. Bless Lord his ministry and the ministry of of that church uh, and the opportunities uh, to serve your people and to uh, reach out to our wider community there just south of us. We pray for... Church across our country and around the world, Lord, there are many, many concerns that weigh heavy on our hearts. Lord, we turn to you. And as we said, as the psalmist says, you are the Lord of all nations and all peoples. Great is your love toward us. So speak a word to us, Lord God, encourage, strengthen, and even challenge us this day through Christ. And all God's children said, Amen. Soon as Mary entered her cousin's home in the hill country of Judah and said, hello, Elizabeth's baby kicked with joy inside of her and filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth, her older cousin, said these words, blessed are you, Mary, among all women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Blessed is she who has believed in the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary, Elizabeth, and even little little John in her womb are experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. God's about to change all of human history through two humble women. One, old and barren, and the other, young and still a virgin. And Mary is so moved by this vision of God and this calling brought to her by the angel Gabriel on this confirmation as she rushes to see her cousin and, and all of what Elizabeth says to her and, and the reaction in the room. And you can just sense that the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully in that place. And here she is at the very beginning Stage of preparing to be a mother and and moms here in this room and watching online the first time you had a, a child if you had more more than one you know the I imagine the apprehension and the worry of that in the midst of all of that she finds a peace that passes understanding through praising God she's so moved. She breaks out in in praise. She she begins to sing this song to God. She magnifies the Lord. And and we know it historically as being called the Magnificat, which is Latin for magnify. Our NIV translation uses the word glorify. Mary magnifies, glorifies, extols. We said in Psalm 117, the Lord. She finds in the midst of that circumstance reason to rejoice and say, God is our Savior. And just like we sang, like Rob just led us in singing, O Holy Night, which is a, a touchstone throughout the season of Advent, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And we hear in Mary's song, the beginnings of, of rejoicing of what God's about to do. Just as this carol and all Carols at Christmas are pregnant with meaning. Mary's song is filled with, with meaning and emotion, with wonder and wisdom about Christmas. If you take anything from the message, if you're taking notes, this is what I want to communicate. This is so pressing in our time with the weariness and the worry, and the doubt that we have, and even the struggle in our faith. According to scripture, here in Luke chapter 1, from Mary's song, from her lips, the only people whose souls can truly magnify the Lord are people like Mary and Elizabeth, people who are humble, who acknowledge, as the King James Version would say, their lowly estate, those who fear the Lord, and we'll talk about what that means, and those who hunger for righteousness. These are those that praise God and find peace in season and out of season. Verse 48 and 49, Mary says, sings, God has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God has blessed her to be the mother of, Of the Messiah. But by modern standards, Mary's hardly blessed, is she? Would you call her blessed nowadays? She doesn't look very blessed. She's poor, young, probably 13, 14 years old, unmarried teenager, pregnant, from a backwater little town called Nazareth. She's a a poor peasant village girl. Doesn't seem too blessed, does she? Her community would soon shame her for the disgrace of being pregnant out of wedlock. Think about Joseph's reaction. They're betrothed to be married. They're not yet married. They're promised to get married. And Matthew kind of spells that out in Matthew 1.19. His initial reaction, he's thinking, maybe I should just quietly like, get rid of her. And yet, and yet, whole world falling in around her, her whole world being turned upside down. She says, God has been mindful of me. God sees me. And despite her circumstances, Mary is able to, to praise God for honoring her. He said, she says, I will be blessed. So this isn't a humble brag, like, I'm so blessed. She's like, God would seek see to show favor to one like me. In her humility, she's able to identify God's blessing her in this incredible life-changing moment. She sees herself as being blessed and then she sees God's action in, in her life is consistent with his saving action throughout all of human history. Look at verse 50. He sa- She says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So now she's, not just looking at her own circumstances, she's broadening that. She's thinking of her humble circumstances, and now she's saying, with great wisdom, his mercy extends to those who fear him. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 10. When we think about being afraid of something, it's very different than, fear. Fear of the Lord is a reverent awe of turning to the Lord. So if someone were to say to me, I'm feeling anxious, worried, and afraid, one question I would ask a person walking with Jesus is, are you fearing the Lord in the midst of your circumstance? Many of us are familiar with Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the next verse you may not be so familiar with, it says... For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Isn't that interesting? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you fear the Lord, if you put the Lord God before you in awe, in reverence, if you magnify God as Mary's singing here in the midst of, we can all agree, a terribly difficult circumstance. Scripture promises years will be added to your life. Fear in the Lord means to magnify, to glorify God in your life. It's reverent awe of his holiness. And for believers, it's only to be afraid of being on the wrong side of God's justice. That's the only thing we're to fear, being on the wrong side of God's justice. But by his mercy, he offers us a relationship that's intimate and pulls us in. And then he says, now, live in reverence before your God. Honor, do his name as Lord and Savior. That's the way of following Jesus. His mercy, she says, extends to those who are in awe of him. Can you say today, God is bigger than my problems? Putting everything in perspective in your life, all the hardships that you're facing, and there are there are many, many in this room, many at home. But can you say, God is bigger than my problems? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, God is bigger than your problems. Easier said for someone else, right? Maybe maybe that person sitting next to you, you're my problem. Well, I'll go there. That's that's a little awkward. (laughs) We won't talk about that one, but, but God is bigger. Than God. You see, it, it matters what and, and how we magnify things in our life, doesn't it? It really matters what we magnify, what we make big in our life and how we do it. So you can do one of two things. You can magnify tiny things, and, and you can take it under a microscope. You can make tiny things, and suddenly the very tiny things look massive, don't they? like, oh my goodness, So you take a a little issue, a grievance, a slight, a hurt, a pain, something that's relatively small, but you put it under that microscope in your heart, and you magnify it, and what does it become? Huge. That molehill becomes a mountain, big and scary. It causes more worry and anxiety and fear and anxiety, you only go so far, You're, you can only run at that RPM for so long and then it breaks down into depression. That's one way. Making little things big. Or you can magnify using a telescope pointed to the heavens and you make something unimaginably great look like it really is. You can look to the heavens and with a telescope you can see. Galaxies, billions upon billions. Even with our, I sound like Carl Sagan, but with our with our naked eye, we see thousands of of stars at night. Right soon, we'll see Elon Musk's little satellites rolling around. But you see many, many stars. But with a telescope, you magnify and magnify. Great, unimaginably huge things appear as they really are. So what and how you magnify things in your life matters. I think Mary's instructing us to magnify the living God, our Savior. When we see God and magnify God, all the other things, the worries, the issues, the differences, the baggage, the hurts, the slights, the bills even. It becomes small. Verse fifty one and fifty two. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. It's very she's very biblical here. She's this is just straight out of Hebrew scriptures, that, that image of God's arm being with us, God going before us. He has scattered those who are proud where? In their inmost thoughts. Isn't that interesting? Someone can present themselves as being very humble, maybe a little. there's a little humble brag there, but in their inner thoughts, they're prideful. You can present yourself in a certain way to the world, but, but in your heart, and, and what is the root of sin? It's, it's our pride. She says, God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary's celebration of God's strong arm. It recalls Hannah's song. If you want to study more on your own, you can look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. There's a lot of interesting parallels between the song of Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, and Mary here, the mother of Jesus. Both speak to these themes. The proud and the mighty of the world will be scattered. The kings will be deposed from their thrones. But it's the humble who fear God, like Mary and Elizabeth. It's the poor and the powerless who expect everything from God and nothing from this world. They will be the ones on that day to be raised high, to high places, becoming a blessing for others. So as we walk through this, we see the humble, we see the God-fearing people. And lastly, we see those who hunger for righteousness. Those who hunger, long for, desire things that are right with God, living the way the Lord would have us, things that are righteous and that will last. The experience of the the thrill of hope and the the peace that passes understanding, Mary celebrates this, comes by God's redeeming work throughout the earth. She knows as we know that salvation is just not a matter of, of a disconnected soul going to heaven, but we are whole beings. Our theology is a wholeness of, of human soul, spirit, and body connected. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. And this is certainly a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. When you look to the Gospel of Luke, he talks about those Matters and concerns that are here on earth. I'm praying what is in heaven would be true on earth and meeting real needs. The gospel meets both spiritual and material needs to fill the hungry. And I am so proud of our church. I'm so proud of all of you that have invested so, so much and so clearly, so. So heavily in meeting the needs in our community, addressing those concerns, and not just at Christmas time, but year round. But I know we have a lot of new people coming and watching. So, just to give you a sense of the things that old timers would say, well, that's just what we always do. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we, that's just, isn't that what all Christians do? Not all Christians do. They may say, but they may not do. Things like this church stocking our local food bank shelves, blessing Vine Maple Place in our partnership with them. They're working to end homelessness in South King County. Our supportive Passage Point, which helps to house and serve previously incarcerated parents and unify them with their kids. Our years of giving to Seattle's Union Gospel Mission that provides meals, education, shelter, safe and affordable housing drug and alcohol recovery programs, and support services to those struggling with homelessness. And then even this week, those signing up to give life-saving blood through Bloodworks Northwest. I say, well, that's just what we do. Well, that is a group of people that are hungry for righteousness. I look around the room. I think many of us have missed a meal, physical hunger, but we're hungry. This is a group of people that desire. Lord, what is on your heart? I want it to be burning in my heart too. What are the things that concern you, God? They need to concern me. They need to concern our church. Where's our church going? How are we using the resources? Those are the conversations that our church is having, a church that is hungry for righteousness. Praise the Lord for that. Because we do this together. Before the Lord our God, Mary's, son, our savior, who calls us to lift the poor, to show them dignity and their worth and to have a seat for them at the table. At the same time, God, she, she knows that God promises to disrupt the world's powerful and rich. Look at verse 53, second half. He sent the rich away empty. Why would God send the rich away empty? Because those that are full of themselves have no room for a savior. The Messiah comes, offers himself, but if you're full of yourself, you've got no room for a savior. You're your own savior. Mary praises God for helping his people. And again, she repeats this phrase from generation to, to generation. And God's playing the long game. We talk about how hard it's been 20 months counting how hard it is now. God's playing the long game. Generation to generation of blessing. Working through his church to train up the next generation and the next generation to walk humbly in irreverent awe and righteously before the living God. This past Thursday night, Rob and, and Jess hosted a worship team party. All the folks that you're we seeing here on stage, everybody up in the room was invited. We had a, a white elephant gift exchange and we had pizza from Cascadia Boy, that's Good. Brought to you by, so I get a sponsorship there? No, it was a fantastic pizza. We had a lot of fun. We had an ugly sweater contest. And this was an, an image from that night uh, sitting around the table. There you go. There's little Judah and Teddy Theodore. Uh, Judah would. Judah means praise. Theodore, gift from God. This is Rob's son. This is Michelle, who read scripture, her son, and, and Ben's. they so cute. My face is red. The, the, the eggnog wasn't spiked. That's just pure joy, folks. I, I think of, of Zechariah. And I think of Joseph with these baby boys on their knee. And I just think of Joseph with these two boys that are cousins, John, who will be John the Baptist on one knee, and, and his adopted son, Jesus, Yeshua, on his, on his other. Generation to generation, that's what this church is about to provide instruction, counsel, and discipleship to you parents in raising the children in the fear of the Lord, that they would be prepared, whatever circumstance they face in this life, to know what it means to trust in Jesus, to walk with their God, to walk humbly in fear of the Lord and in righteousness. Mary's final stanza praises God for for helping and remembering and being merciful to Abraham and all of his descendants. And she says, forever. How long is forever? Forever? Yeah. (laughs) And Abraham's descendants, that includes y'all that believe in Jesus. We're going to study Romans next year. And we talk about being grafted in. Abraham was promised to him that he would be the father of nations. That includes all of us who trust in Jesus. She's praying this blessing over all of us. Mary's song magnifies God, our Savior, who came to save. See, when you look at any scripture, and this one in particular this morning, whenever you open God's word, you're going to learn, if you study it, something about God, something of who God is, God's attributes, characteristics, how God uh, operates our creator, and then you learn something about the creature, about you and me, and how then we are to live. And so what do we learn here? He is our savior, which means we need saving. He is mighty, which means we are humble to see ourselves correctly as small compared to how big God is. He is holy, so we pursue righteousness, right living, relating wisely to one another and to our wider world. And he is strong. We used to sing songs, uh, the kids' ministry with hand motions. And I don't know how, how much of these uh, songs, but let me see, let me test to see how well this, this congregation does. The first service did it pretty well, right, Pastor David? Do you know the song about God's strength? My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty, nothing my God cannot do, right? You knew it. Yeah, the hand My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. It helps a child and adults magnify God. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. It's a perfect illustration of outreach to other people. There's nothing God cannot do for me. No, it ends with for you. This is ministry. Every generation raised in faith, every opportunity we have to gather, appoint people to our great King and Savior. And so, our touchstone this series, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Every message will be focused on the incarnation, the birth of Christ, God becoming human beings. Long lay the world in sin and error. What's that mean? It means we're not living the right way. We're missing the mark. We've sinned before God. We are in error. Pining. It means waiting. They're saying we're we're waiting on the Lord. We're long lay the world in sin and error. We're pining, waiting. Come on. Come on already. Romans 8.22 says the whole world, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's what it's referring to. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You would come for me, for us. Now I feel my true worth. Not by the way man measures worth, but how you measure, how you see me, how Mary is seen. A deep sense of value of every human being made in the image of God. A thrill of hope, the weary world, the soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious more. There is the hope of that new day, what's coming. Eight months after Mary sang her song and eight days after Christmas, that first Advent, she and Joseph were in the temple for Jesus's Brett Mila the circumcision ceremony. And Simeon prophesied over Mary and over Joseph and Jesus, but I imagine him looking her dead in the eye, that Mary, you will experience unspeakable grief when you see what happens to your son, who will be rejected and crucified in order to save the world. And yet she continued her mission to raise the Messiah. And yet she was humble before God, a faithful servant, blessed with assurance and peace, even with this prophecy looming three decades from it being spoken. Every sacrifice Mary made for her boy, Jesus made infinitely more for her. She accepted her humble estate But think of what the son of the living God gave up to be born, put in a manger, raised in the back country. She was shamed. Think of his greater shame. She trusted and obeyed. But as we prepare to come to this table, consider our Lord in the garden. He didn't want to have to drink the cup but he was obedient to his Father in heaven for our sake. And as we sing his praises this Christmas, I pray that you would magnify the Lord, your Savior. You would really dwell upon Mary. It says Mary treasured all these things up in her heart, that we would treasure the deeper, much more profound meaning of that holy night And how great and strong and mighty our Lord is compared to our relatively important right now, I know, hard and hurting, I understand. But relative to eternity, our small problems and worries and doubts and hurts.